It's great to be with you all again this morning. I was talking, I was, I, I, uh, I was standing in just briefly in the children's area there before the start of the service, and um, one of the little kids came up to me and says, I haven't seen you for so long. And I said, yes, last Sunday. He said, yeah, but it was so long ago. You know, I just, I just love that. I just love that. Um, we are in a series that we began last Sunday entitled The Seven Challenges of the Church, in which we are looking at Revelation chapter 2 and 3, the seven messages shared by Jesus to the seven churches in what is modern-day Turkey. And last week, we looked at the first challenge, as was cited in Revelation, and that is the challenge of forgetting why we do what we do. And, and really, um, just by way of review quickly here, is that I shared a little bit about it is possible for us as churches, and even for us here at Summit Ridge, for us to know our theology, for us to know our Bible, for us to know our doctrine, and not make a lick of difference in helping us to love people as Jesus has called us to love, and to love him as Jesus has called us to love him. John Calvin said this, and he was a, a pastor and a theologian who had a lot to do with the Reformed theology that, uh, is, that is experienced today. He said this, the gospel is not a doctrine of the tongue, but of life. Did you hear that? The doctrine of the gospel is not of the tongue, but of life. I love that. It is not merely something that we just simply confess with our mouths. We actually have to believe it as well. We actually have to believe it. And he goes on and he says this, It cannot be grasped by reason and memory only, but it is fully understood when it possesses the whole soul and penetrates to the inner recesses of the heart. That is the gospel. The gospel simply cannot be limited to a book of doctrine. It cannot simply be limited to just simply theology and only theology. It has to penetrate well beyond our minds, deep into our hearts, so that in results of it is that we behave according to what the gospel message is. That Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus won. And because he came, because he died, and because he won, I have life, you have life. Everyone can have life if they choose to follow Jesus. And for the love that Jesus has showed me, I, out of gratefulness for what he has done, obey the command to show love to others. Amen? Amen. So that was the challenge last week. Today, we're going to look at a second challenge. And the challenge is this, suffering for doing the right thing. Suffering for doing the right thing. I've shared this before, and I'll share it again. It should be nothing new. And for those of us who have been followers of Jesus, perhaps, hopefully, this is nothing new. It is not always easy following Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. It is not always easy following Jesus Christ. And here, for many, many reasons, but I'm just going to do a macro reasons why. And that for me, there's two big reasons. If it's not for the inner turmoil, and that is the inner transformation that is happening in my life, and, and for that to happen, Jesus says very clearly that I must take up my cross daily and follow him. In other words, there is something in my life that perhaps needs to be crucified, needs to die off to make room for Jesus. And that is an incredibly hard struggle because I like some of the things I have and believe and think. I enjoy it sometimes. There is uh, one of the characters, and I'm going off script here. I, I've never fully understood uh, but have begun to recently understand that I, I, I never fully grasped was the Hulk. 
Go with me. Okay, I told you I'm off script. Off, off, off script here. Um, the Hulk's only superpower is that he gets angry. And he becomes really, really powerful. And I never quite understood why that was such an asset. But let me just tell you, in my sinful, broken nature, anger is a very powerful thing. I feel powerful when I'm angry. I feel powerful when I get mad. I have this sense that I even want to hold on to that anger because I just, I like how it feels sometimes. If I'm really honest with myself. It's just, it's just reality. And so it is not always easy being a Christian if for no other reason in, is that we are being transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And in order for that to happen, we have to be willing to die to ourselves. We have to be willing to die to ourselves. Now, there's a second one, the, the other macro reason. And that is, there is an enemy out there, the devil, and, and, and those who are opposed to us being Christians, for whatever reasons they might be. And that's another stressor that's on us. And, and, and it can be sometimes incredibly difficult for us to be Christians, if not for the fact that we're being transformed into Christ, but we're also facing others who disagree with our decision to follow Christ. And all that that means, even though we may not have nothing to do with whatever the perception is of Jesus, because some other Christians have done something or said something that was incredibly inappropriate, incredibly judgmental, and now we are labeled and painted with the same brush as those other Christians have done in the name of Jesus. I mean, it's just how it is. Sometimes I am tempted to say, if that is who you are, do us all a favor. Don't tell anyone else that you're a Christian because you're just ruining it for the rest of us. Right? Sometimes um, we even look at those who aren't Christians and they seem to have a better life than we do. If we're honest about it, they seem to be able to enjoy life in a way that, well, why do they get to do those things and not get called on the carpet for it? Why do they get to do those kinds of things to other people and don't seem to suffer any consequences for it? In some ways, I kind of feel the cry of the heart of the psalmist in 94, verses 3 through 7. The psalmist writes this, O Lord, how long will the wicked, how long will the wicked celebrate? They spew out threats and speak defiantly. All the evildoers boast. O Lord, they crush your people, they oppress the nation that belongs to you. They kill the widow and the resident foreigner, and they murder the fatherless. Then they say, the Lord does not see this. The God of Jacob does not take notice of it. Have you ever wondered and been a little jealous about those who don't know Jesus? Just seem to be able to just get away with stuff? But because we know Jesus, we know that that's wrong, and we wonder, God, where are you? When are they going to face justice kind of thing? Um, it's, it's just so hard sometimes to be a follower of Jesus. Now, today's message, as we dig, dig deeper into this, um, I want to share with you that I'm going to talk about persecution. I'm going to talk about this. And perhaps my hope is, is that as we look at today's letter to this church in Smyrna, that's the, that's the church that we're going to look at today is that I think um, my hope is, is that I will change our perspective of what maybe persecution is and what maybe it isn't. Um, I, I think to some degree that 
for us as Christians, and when I mean Christians, I mean evangelical Christians, that there is a temptation for us to believe that we're always being persecuted. And I want to challenge that premise today. I want to challenge that premise and put it in the light of what we will look at, what persecution was being suffered by this church, where Jesus delivers a message to this church. And so as we look at today's text, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 2, and just four verses, that's it, verses 8 through 11, that's it, really short message that this church was given by Jesus, is that we will hopefully discover how Jesus responds to a church that was suffering not because of any particular sin that they did, not because of any particular harm that they did towards, towards someone or someone's, but rather simply because they were doing what God called them to do. They were being the church. They were being obedient, and they were suffering for doing what was right. And I hope that as we look at today's message that Jesus gives to this church is that we will learn a couple of things about maybe how Jesus might respond to us when we sense that we are suffering for doing nothing more than being obedient to Jesus Christ. Right? So let's take a look at this message. I'm just going to read these four verses, and then I'm going to unpack it um, as we go back through this. Here's what it says. To the angel of the church in Smyrna, write the following. This is the solemn pronouncement of the one who is the first and the last, the one who was dead but came to life. I know the distress you are suffering and your poverty, but... You are rich. I also know the slander against you by those who call themselves Jews and really are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Ooh. We may unpack that. Uh, do not be afraid of the things you are about to suffer. The devil is about to have some of you thrown into prison so you may be tested and you will experience suffering for 10 days. Remain faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown that is life itself. The one who has an ear had better hear what the Spirit says to the churches, and the one who conquers will in no way be harmed by the second death. That's the message. Now, I love this. I love this. There's a couple of things that I find that are really unique about what Jesus shares with this church that I think is important for us to realize as well. That when we might be suffering, as this church was, for just simply doing what Jesus called this church to do. And that is this. Jesus deeply knows our sufferings. Jesus deeply knows your sufferings. He deeply knows what we are going through. And I say deeply because he himself experienced it. Now here is this church in Smyrna, about 30 to 40 miles uh, northeast of Ephesus. It was a port city. It was a very important city. It comes from the word myrrh, which means perfume, a beautiful, beautiful fragrance, okay? And during, um, it was in many ways, Smyrna was a city that was the darling of the Roman Empire because when there was a fraction in the Roman Empire and there was two people who were vying for the role of emperor, Smyrna picked the right person who won, okay? They stood with the right person, who ended up coming out on top. That was Tiberius. And so in response here, there was a building or a temple to the emperor Tiberius that was where people would gather to worship the emperor, okay? Um, there was also, they were fiercely, as a result, many of the citizens there were fiercely loyal to Rome. And Rome was fiercely loyal to Smyrna. 
Not only that, there was a large Jewish population who were exempt from worshiping Roman gods, including the emperor. And by the way, it's not as though they negotiated this. It's the Jewish people were so, uh, they were just so dedicated to never worshiping anyone other but God himself that they fought feverishly that finally Rome relented and said, okay, okay, okay. Everyone else has to worship the emperor and, and, and our gods, but you all get an exemption. I mean, they just fought their way out of it, okay? So there was this enormous Jewish population that was exempt from, from worshiping the emperor and, their, and the Roman gods. Now, this was a recipe of disaster for the Christians there. You see, up until that point, many of the early Christians were Jews. And because they were Jews, they're oftentimes associated with the Jewish faith, which was exempted from worshiping the Roman emperor as well as the Roman gods. However, after a time, the, Rome, the Jewish people began to say, no, 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 no. You got it all wrong. These Christians aren't associated with us. We have nothing to do with them. They are not us, and we are not them. Therefore, they are not exempt. And so, all of a sudden now, these Christians began to experience the persecution that one would experience for failure to worship the emperor and the Roman gods. In fact, there was a, a well-known apostolic, there's a term for you, um, apostolic church father by the name of Polycarp. Love that name. Love that name. We don't know much about him, but he was a disciple of John. So John, again, knows this church. He discipled this, young, this man, Polycarp. Polycarp was, in, was, was one of the earliest church martyrs after the church was established. Um, he became bishop of the church in Smyrna, but in uh, his older age, he was arrested by the Romans because he, he refused to worship the emperor. And in fact, the, the, the Roman centurion who arrested him, had he, he really liked Polycarp. He really liked him and wanted to give him a chance and said, would you just simply, simply recant and just simply say that Caesar is Lord? If you say that, I'll let you go. Just simply say, Caesar is Lord, and I'll let you go. Polycarp, he's 86 years old when he's arrested. He's lived his life in many ways. He says this, In 86 years I have served Christ, and he never did me any wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? Failure to do so, he was led then to a place of execution. Now here's where it gets a little murky. One tradition states that when the guards realized they had no nails or rope to affix him to the post, Polycarp assured them that no restraint was necessary, that Jesus would empower him to bear the flames. Okay? Another account says that the flames avoided his body, arching over his head, and when the guards realized that Polycarp could not be burned, they stabbed him with a spear, and the blood that ran down extinguished the flames. Either way, he was killed or martyred for his faith. That was not all that unusual, if you will, for the Christians who lived here in Smyrna. And so this was a church that was experiencing incredible amount of suffering. And Jesus speaks this message to them. I know what you're going through. It has not been lost on me. Not only do I know about it, but I actually know it because I myself have experienced it. And I love the fact that we serve a God who doesn't just simply know about the stuff we're going through, but who came to this earth 
became human like you and I and experienced everything that we as humans experience. It may not have been the exact situations, but it certainly would have been the exact themes of pain, grief, loss, death, etc., etc., etc. He experienced all of that. And that's what I love about it, is we have a Savior who relates to us and knows exactly what we are going through. Exactly what we are going through. He is not oblivious to it. In fact, Tim Keller, author and pastor, late pastor, said this. Jesus lost all the glory so that we could be clothed in it. He was shut out so we could have access. He was bound, nailed, so that we could be free. He was cast out so we could approach. And Jesus took away the only kind of suffering that can really destroy you. That is being cast away from God. He took that so now that all suffering that comes into your life will only make you great. A lump of coal under pressure becomes a diamond. And the suffering of a person in Christ only turns you into somebody gorgeous. That's what I love about when it comes to suffering for Jesus, is it's never wasted. It's never wasted. Jesus never wastes a hurt. We suffer. And Jesus knows our suffering deeply. The world, I think, sometimes views suffering as an inconvenience. <coughs> Excuse me. Something to be avoided at all cost. Something we should try to minimize. Something we should try to just simply get out of very quickly. We don't see a lot of value in the world when it comes to suffering. And so all of a sudden now, what we find here is that perhaps in the Christian faith, not only does Jesus know our suffering, but we can realize that because of Jesus, that suffering doesn't end badly that there can be good that comes from it. And I believe that Jesus was encouraging this church and saying, guess what, I know you are suffering, but you are rich. You are rich. And I also know that those who slander against you by those who call themselves Jews are really not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Perhaps that synagogue there was telling people they are not one of us, they should not be exempt, they should, go to the, the, they should be executed or suffered for not worshiping the gods, including the emperor himself. And by the way, chances are they knew each other. Chances are they, these were probably friends, maybe even family, who knows. But nonetheless, here they are suffering an incredible amount of persecution because of the fact that they follow Jesus. So that's number one. Here's the second one. Not only does Jesus know our suffering, but to follow Jesus means to know suffering. Again, the church in Smyrna had suffered not because of something they have done wrong or for sin. It is because of simply their obedience to Jesus Christ. As one author said, persecution for Christians is not a possibility. It's a promise. It's not a maybe. It's a surely. Following Jesus can mean finding the trouble you've been looking for. (laughs) 
Now, I want to share a couple of things about when I talk about persecution. Because I think for many of us, and I'm not saying us here at Summit Ridge, but I think for those of us in this evangelical world, if you were to listen to churches today and listen to the media and stuff, there seems to be this cry that the church is under persecution. We're under persecution. Now, let me share with you a little bit of what I see as two different types of persecution. Okay? The first persecution is, is kind of a persecution in which you go out of your way to get. Here's what I mean. I, I have a bike. Many of you know that. It's a trike. Okay? It's a three-wheel. And, and I know for, that there are purists out there that uh, already that the fact that I got a three-wheel is not really a bike. Okay? And, and, that, and that, I get that. That's fine. You can, you can be totally purist if you want. Um, I, again, I've just shared before, the state of Arizona says it's a motorcycle. I go with it. It's a motorcycle kind of thing. But let me just tell you another thing that I do when I ride my motorcycle oftentimes is I listen to music. Okay, my helmet, I, I rigged my helmet to be able to play music from my cell phone so I can listen to music while I'm riding my bike, and I love it. Here's what I listen to oftentimes when I'm riding my bike. Am I listening to ZZ Top? Because that's what a motorcyclist would do. Am I listening to ACDC? Because that's what a motorcyclist would do. Am I listening to Def Leppard or any of these other metal bands? Because that's what a motorcyclist would do. No, I like to listen to Celine Dion. A new day has come. I love that song. I love that song. Now, I, I share that because I'm asking for persecution by sharing what I just shared with you. I am asking to be ridiculed. In some ways, I believe that the evangelical church in this country, and not every evangelical church, but a wide swath of it, certainly it seems like, that's the kind of persecution they're experiencing. They're asking for it. Let me give you an example. Several years ago, I got, I got emails, and I, I haven't gotten them since, and maybe this has finally died down, which if it has, thank goodness. It was called Freedom Pulpit Sunday. Freedom Pulpit Sunday was a specific Sunday in which churches, particularly pastors in their pulpits, were encouraged to break the law and jeopardize their nonprofit status by from the pulpit endorsing candidates. <laughs> Go ahead and endorse candidates. That is riding a motorcycle listening to Celine Dion. <laughs> You're asking for it. On the hope and perhaps the premise <clears throat> that the IRS will come and revoke a church's nonprofit status. And then we can say, I have been persecuted. Never mind. Do you know how many churches have had their nonprofit status revoked because they endorsed a candidate? Zero. One ministry in 1992, when George H.W. Bush and Bill Clinton were running, took out a full-page ad in the New York Times endorsing whatever. They lost their nonprofit status. That's it. That's it. No church has lost their nonprofit status because they endorsed a candidate from the pulpit, even though it is against the law. But there are churches who sure try. Oh, please, government, I want you to come after me. Please, 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 come after me, government. Please. That is not persecution. 
That is, for lack of a better word, just plain stupidity. That is not persecution. You wanted it, you got it. That is not what the church in Smyrna was doing. That is not what they were doing. They weren't endorsing candidates. They weren't doing things that were intentionally breaking the law because of the fact they wanted the attention and they wanted the social media attraction and they wanted all the money that comes with it. By the way, church, in case you haven't figured it out, the formula is really easy for, for all of us to give money to someone or something, an organization, is they scare us into it. But listen to what Jesus says here. Verse 10, do not be afraid of the things you're about to suffer. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Just don't do it. And so all of a sudden now, these organizations that are trying to say, oh, the church is under attack, the church is being persecuted, they, they say those things because they want our money. I believe they are false. I believe they're a bunch of charlatans who are trying to fleece the flock. Period. The reality is that anyone here today coming to this church feels scared that they would not be able to worship. Here's the other thing that churches, some evangelical churches cite as persecution is that during COVID, we were not allowed to meet. Churches couldn't gather. Well, perhaps some states said that. Certainly not here. Did you know that in Arizona, all religious institutions were exempt? We didn't meet, not because Arizona said we couldn't. We didn't meet because we thought it wasn't safe. Let me just say, church, brothers and sisters, if I'm being really honest, not like I haven't been already, <laughs> we really don't know what persecution is. We are one of the most fortunate groups of Christians in the world today. In that even such that we might find that if the government tries to do something, we can sue the government, and oftentimes we win. We win. There was a case that would have jeopardized housing allowance for pastors, which for me, I get a housing allowance. It's a very nice perk given to me by the government. They don't have to give it to pastors, but they do. Um, and, 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 and it's a really nice perk. Well, one pastor had claimed an enormous housing allowance. That pastor took the government to court, and guess what? He won. He won. I don't call that persecution even if they took it away. It was just a benefit. It was a benefit. That's not what was happening here. It just wasn't. And so I think a lot of this persecution is persecution we're just asking for. Oh, please, just, just hit me. Come on. Just do something. I, want the, I just want the attention. That's riding a motorcycle, listening to Celine Dion. You're just asking for it. You're just asking for it. That's not what was going on here. Here is what I think was going on in Smyrna is they were simply following Jesus' command to love him and to love others. And when it came to the fact of giving worship to the emperor or to the Roman gods, as the Jewish people said, absolutely not, we as Christians say, absolutely not. Absolutely not. 
and we're willing to break the law in our worship of Jesus. When it becomes illegal for us to worship God freely, then we could talk about persecution. When it becomes illegal for us to actually help other people, whether it is clothing them, feeding them, helping keep whatever it is that they need, whether it is clothes or otherwise on their backs, when that becomes illegal and we suffer because we are loving others as a command from God, then we can talk about persecution. When all of a sudden now we have winding up in jail because of the fact that we are following Jesus Christ and we dare to protect the weakest those who are easily taken advantage of, those who are easily looked over, when we are arrested and, and, and put in jail for something like that, then we can say perhaps we are being persecuted. But until then, can we just be honest and say, you know what? We're not. We're not. And instead of asking for the persecution to come, because believe me, you don't ask what you don't really want. You don't want this. Can we, in the freedoms that we enjoy, instead of worrying about the fact that we're being attacked and persecuted, can we just simply follow Jesus and love others as we love him? And knock it off. Just knock it off. It's embarrassing. It's I would love to have Christians from worlds, from countries where it really is a, 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 a really, really dangerous thing to be a Christian. Come here and share and say, dare, dare us to say, well, we're under persecution too. You are. What, what's going on? How are you under persecution? Tell me, tell me, please. I want to pray for you. Well, let me tell you what's going on here. There's a possibility that if I do this, I'm, I'm probably going to you know, endorse a candidate. I'm probably going to go to jail. What? Run that by me again. Oh, no, no, if I, if I do this, there's a possibility that I'm going to not have my housing allowance anymore. What? Run that by me again. It is just embarrassing, truly. But it certainly generates a lot of money and a lot of attention. When we talk about persecution, let us be honest about what this church was going through. And when we experience that, and the words of Jesus, I think, are most prominent. I know what you're going through. You're going to suffer, but guess what? It's going to be okay in the end. As he says at the end here, the one who has an ear had better hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will in no way be harmed by the second death. We will live, and we will have a crown that is life itself. I think those churches and those Christians that are facing persecution, I think the words of Peter himself out of 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10, ring true. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, I love that, suffering is not permanent. It's temporary. It's temporary. It's temporary. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen and establish you do you know what happens in the end we win because jesus wins we have the crown of life because jesus is alive we 
get to experience an unbelievable life of eternity with a relationship with our Savior face-to-face with Him that right now we only get a glimpse of. But in the end, we get to experience it fully. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So let me say this in closing. You may not be suffering from necessarily external forces such as the government or anything else. You might be from family members, maybe from friends, maybe from coworkers who might be ridiculing you or kind of look at you weird or whatever else. I get that. And maybe you are struggling with a sin or a dynamic in your life right now that God is calling out to you, but you don't want to have it exposed or even more, you don't want to give it up. And it is hard. You are facing the pressure. Can I just encourage you this morning with the words of Jesus? I know what you're going through. I know it's hard. Trust me. It's well worth it. You will come out of this better. You will be more gorgeous, more like me than you could ever possibly imagine. Let it go. Give it up. Make room for me. And if that's you, I just want to encourage you. It's going to be okay. Truly. One person made the remark, it seems like the best people have the hardest lives. Jesus, one of the best people who ever lived, I think the best who ever lived, but I'm biased, had one of the hardest lives. Grew up in poverty, lost his dad. I mean, just horrible things. Didn't always know where he was going to spend the night. Was homeless. Job, really good guy from all indications of the scripture share. And yet lived an incredibly difficult. Mother Teresa, serving the poor in Calcutta, India. Lived just a wonderful, phenomenal person. Lived an incredibly hard life. In fact, one story I read about her was that her toes were curled. And the reason why is because whenever shoes would come in, she would give the best shoes to other people and she would take the ones that didn't fit the best and she would wear those. And over time, it, would, it, it destroyed her feet. It seems like some of the best people live some of the hardest lives. And can I just be honest with all of you here today? When I look at all of you, I see some of the best people the world has to offer. Not because of who we are alone, but because whom we serve, Jesus Christ. And that means, chances are, we're not going to have an easy life. I hope we do, but chances are we're not. But be encouraged. Be encouraged. Jesus knows what we're going through. And to know Jesus also means to know suffering. Jesus said this, if the world hates me, it's going to hate us. It's just going to. But be encouraged. Be encouraged. Jesus knows what we're going through. And in the end, we win. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, I, 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 I'm hesitant to say this, but I'm going to say it anyways, Jesus. I am at times grateful for suffering. Not always. I am grateful, Jesus, that you never waste a hurt 
that suffering is, while horrible and not something to be desired and something that is hard and just awful at times to go through, that you use that in a way, Jesus, to make us more like you. And that although suffering seems like it lasts for such a long time, we know, Jesus, that it is just a short while compared to eternity. Jesus, I pray for every single person here. I pray for our church. I pray for our churches in general. I pray for our churches around the world, and particularly those churches and those Christians who experience a level of persecution that we simply here right now in this place cannot even fathom. And yet they meet. And yet they worship. And yet they read scripture. And yet they serve each other. And they love each other. And they love those around them. I pray, Father, that we would be take inspiration even from those churches. I pray that you would continue to encourage those churches as well as us. That you would continue to speak to those churches that they are not alone. That you continue to speak to those churches and those Christians that while they are suffering, it is only temporary. And in the end, we will all share in the crown of life. And what a beautiful day that will be, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are. Thank you for being our suffering Savior. It's in your holy and precious name that we pray. Amen.